Welcome everyone, you're listening to another episode of Do We Like Murder? Riveting tales of true crime and intrigue and horrible things happening mm-hmm. in books, true crime books. Brought to you by Do We Like Murder? A segment of the long overdue podcast, mm-hmm. a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. I'm Chris. I'm introing this segment as usual, but I'm here with the main, uh, the main event. The <laughs> what's the word? Who I'm are we? For? I don't hmm. know. You know the people that that know stuff, <laughs> the the ones the ones that know stuff, the ones that you really came here to hear to listen to. The armchair detectives. That's right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that is it. Yeah, that would be Denise. Hi. And Dawn. Hello. Yeah. So. All right. I, I know you're ready to stop listening to me and listen to them. So. Well, we have some riveting books today. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm reading The Third Rainbow Girl. Did you notice I said reading? Mm -hmm. Not I have read. (laughs) Um, The Long Life of a Double Murder in Appalachia by Emma Copley Eisenberg. Copley Eisenberg. I read The Lazarus Files, A Cold Case Investigation by Matthew McGo. McGo? McGo. 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 So it looks like to me. Uh, yeah. Like Vincent Van Gogh, except. See, I was thinking Doe. McGo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, McGo. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So the Lazarus Files. That sounds like um, maybe some resurrection or something happening in that book. No, Lazarus is the last name of the killer. Oh. Oh, dang. So, I'm gonna go first. Yes. Okay. And what was yours? The third? The third Rainbow Girl. So you're going to have to wait for a few minutes to hear about this one. It's kind of fascinating in its own way. Yeah. But probably not the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Alrighty. So I guess is that that a decided Denise is going first? I'm going to go first. You're going first. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's gonna make a joke about bringing this podcast back to life because <laughs> it's the Lazarus. <laughs> let's hear it. You ready? Yeah. What happened in this book? Well, in this book, this happened in 1986. Sherry Rasmussen, who was she was 29 years old. She was very accomplished. She was a very accomplished young lady. Like, I felt like such a failure. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, she was super smart, skipped a couple of grades, went to college, got her master's in nursing, and became a critical care nurse, like, in her early 20s. Is that ever a good idea, to skip grades like that? Anyway. <laughs> If you're smart enough to do it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so she became um, a critical care nurse. And then from there, she just climbed up the ladder because she was 
really good. Like her father tried to convince her to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and um, her and her sister, her older sister, were both nurses. And they were inspired by one of their aunts, who was a nurse, and she accomplished a lot of stuff in her her life as well. And so they were in awe of her, and so they wanted to follow in her footsteps. Okay. And her dad tried to convince her to be a doctor because she was really, really intelligent. And um, but because Sherry was so nice, like she didn't want to make her sister feel less than. Wow. And so she was like, you know, she didn't want her sister to feel like she wasn't as important. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, no, I like being a nurse. So she was a nurse. Yeah. Um, she became like the director of the critical care unit, like for the nurses. So she mm-hmm. wasn't doing nursing anymore, but she was over the entire unit of nurses. Wow. So, and this was before she was even 30. Wow. Yeah. And so... When she was 28, about to be 29, she met John Rutten. And she hadn't really had a serious boyfriend. She was very focused on her studies, and then she was really focused on her job and her career. Mm -hmm. Um, But when she met John, she fell madly in love. And he did, too. Like, he never really had, like, a serious girlfriend. Mm -hmm. When he was in college, he dated Stephanie Lazarus. Except that he never really considered it dating. Like, they were best friends. Occasionally they would sleep together. But he never considered her his girlfriend. He never thought that they were in any kind of serious relationship. Hmm. But if you ask Stephanie, Stephanie had a totally different idea of what their relationship meant. Even though I'm not really sure why. Because he made it pretty clear Mm-hmm. To her that they were really good friends and he had no intention of ever being her boyfriend. Wow. But she was very fixated on him. Uh-huh. Uh, Stephanie would, and she did this not just to John, but to other men in her life. She integrated herself with his family. Like, she became really good friends with his siblings. She mm-hmm. became really good friends with his mom. Like, even years after they left college, she kept in touch with them. Wow. Yeah, she was she was trying really hard to be a part of the family. Mm-hmm. And I guess she thought that that, you know, they'd be like, you should really marry Stephanie. Uh-huh. Um, which, as far as John's concerned, like, no one ever like pushed him towards anything like that. They were just yeah. like, yeah, whatever. And I think everybody just accepted that they were really good friends. They yeah. were really close. And so they were like, okay. Mm-hmm. And so one day at a party, his best friend invites him to a party and he's um, the best friend's dating Sherry's best friend, who's her roommate. Mm-hmm. So they all go to this party together and that's how they meet. And okay. at that party they meet and he was like, floored by her he was just like this woman's amazing and when he was mm-hmm. talking with her and you know i would be in awe of her too i'd be like i'm sorry you do what for a living and you're how old right <laughs> um and so um they started dating and they got serious real fast and they became engaged and i think they got married they got married in november um of 85 
And they were married for three months before she was murdered. Oh. Yep. Uh, she was actually murdered on the three-month anniversary. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. It was very sad. She, um, up until, like, after they started dating, um, John never really, again, he never considered Stephanie, like, a thing, like, that they were in any kind of relationship. So he never called her up and was like, hey, I'm seeing someone. Mm-hmm. You know, they hadn't seen each other for a while and so yeah. on. So he never really thought, like, oh, I need a call to break this off with her because there was nothing for him to break off as far as he was concerned. Yeah. And so she finds out from his mom or sister or somebody that mm-hmm. John's engaged. And so she gets super upset about it. And so she calls him and she's crying and she's (sighs) so upset. And so he goes over there to talk to her, you know, to be like, we're, I'm engaged to someone. Like, I love this person and I'm going to marry them. So he goes over there. One thing leads to another. Oh, my gosh. Uh And so afterwards, he's like, okay, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. And we're done I'm marrying this other person. I love her. And so yeah. he leaves. I don't know. Stephanie thought that because they had slept together that he was going to leave his fiance or something uh-huh. but because nothing happened afterwards. Like there was no breakup. He was still engaged. She got into a very skimpy outfit and went to Sherry's work uh, okay. to go and tell her. And he kept Matthew McCo kept saying that she went to confront Sharon. I was like, I'm sorry. She wasn't confronting anybody. Mm-hmm. She was going over there to be like, I slept with your dude. <sighs> like, yeah. That's not a confrontation. There no. Was, as far as Sherry didn't even know about this woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? She yeah. Like, <laughs> so it's not a confrontation. That's just her going over there to try to break them up. Yeah. Um, which did not succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, she told Sherry about what happened and Sherry was upset and went home and talked to John about it. And he confessed everything. But he was like, you know, she'd been my best friend for a long time. And she was upset. And But I already told her that that's it. Like, there's nothing else going on between us. And so she forgave him. And they got married. Okay. Well, after they got married, Stephanie showed up to their house. Which Sherry was like, how do you know where we live? Mm-hmm. Well, Stephanie's an LAPD officer. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And so she goes over there and takes her skis. And she wants John to wax her skis. Yeah. And Sherry's like, no. And John's like, eh, you know, I'll just go ahead and do it. And I'm, then maybe she'll just leave us alone. I was like, no. No. <laughs> he did it. He waxed her skis and then she came to pick them up and Sherry was pissed. I was like, I, I would have been super angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have been like, excuse me, what? Yeah. So then a little after that, um, John went to work and Sherry decided that she was going to go to work a little later than normal. So she was at home, you know, drinking her coffee, reading the newspaper. And then she turns and there's Stephanie in her living room. <gasps> Oh my gosh she's like what are you doing here like how did you get into my house or whatever yeah and stephanie's not answering any questions and she's all like where's john is john here and she's all like get out of my house yeah and so she kicks her out and at this point she's like really like 
what is up with this person but Uh she's not really telling anybody anything she kind of tells her friend a little bit that she's having trouble with one of john's ex-girlfriends that's been coming around and harassing her Mm -hmm. she tells her father a lot of what's going on but she never mentions a name just that this woman keeps harassing her Mm -hmm. and then at one point she calls her dad and she's like really upset and he was like what's what's going on and she was like i think someone's following me and she was like, John and I went out to dinner every Sunday before their big, busy work week would happen. They would try to go out mm-hmm. like the Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening and just spend some time together before the week got crazy and they didn't really get to spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah. So that was their their routine. And so she was like, we went out to dinner and there was someone, I'm pretty sure someone was following us. And then there was someone sitting like a few tables away from us that was watching us. And he was like, do you know who it is? And she was like, I think I, I do. But she was dressed like a boy. Ooh. But he never, like, she never said, "It's her name is Stephanie Lazarus or anything uh-huh. like that. She did say that she was an LAPD officer. Like, she told her dad that. And she wasn't sure what to do. Because mm-hmm. she was like, I'm pretty sure if I go and I complain to the PD, like, they're not going to do anything about it. Right. So she was just like, I don't know what to do about it. And then on her birthday, uh, early February, they went, John and her, John took her back to Tucson where her, where she uh, grew up and that's where her parents live. And they went there to spend like a week or something and then come back on vacation for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And Sherry's parents are trying to convince them to move to Tucson. And they're like, well, you know, I don't know. And um, Sherry's dad, who's a dentist, a very well- to do a dentist mm-hmm. there it was like if you guys want to like move to tucson i will help you get a house mm-hmm. like i will help you pay like do a down payment on your house nice um and told john you know i'll help you find a job and get you guys all set up and so they considered it for a little bit and then cherry told him to give her five years like she she was the type of person that planned out her life in five-year increments wow yeah (laughs) so she was like i'm already starting this this five-year plan Uh so at the end of those five years let's talk wow like oh five years is nothing yeah yeah so let's you know so he was he was like that's fine uh he almost convinced her john seemed pretty convinced he was like oh i mean they're gonna pretty much buy us a house yeah and the condo that sherry lived when she moved there to la her dad wanted her to be safe so he found a nice uh neighborhood and he bought the condo okay and so uh, she was living in in the condo that he had he had bought mm-hmm. she was paying him the mortgage payments like she would send him a check okay and so on but you know she didn't she didn't but she did all the time. Like, she never... She was very responsible. Yeah. And she wanted it to be, like, her own. So uh-huh. she was paying rent. Yeah. Um, and when she got engaged, John moved in with her. Okay. And when they got married, her dad switched over the the title to them, to both their names. Mm-hmm. And then was just, like, refinance. And then you guys pay that off. Yeah. And then, and then I'm out. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. That's what they were doing. Instead of getting an engagement ring, Sherry got a BMW. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) She thought it was more practical than a ring. Interesting. So she got that. 
And then shortly after that, John got himself a new Mazda or something. Mm-hmm. So, but they made pretty pretty good money, so they weren't really worried about it. And you know, Sherry was also very much about saving, and so she had they had all that figured out, and they were happy, and it seemed like everything was going really great for them. Mm-hmm. Until John came home from work one day, and there was Sherry on the floor, dead. Oh. And he, he lost it. Like, he, he couldn't really even function for a bit. Like, he went over to her. He said that he touched her leg, but later on when he was talking to her dad, he said that he, like, touched her leg with his foot. Oh, okay. And so, he knew that she was, that she was dead. Because she was cold and stiff, and so he knew that she was dead. And he called... Uh, an ambulance and her dad was like why did you call an ambulance if you thought she was there why didn't you call the police and he was like well i called 911 and they sent an ambulance <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> like i didn't call and was like i need an ambulance i was like <laughs> i came home and my wife is dead and they sent an ambulance <laughs> like i don't know what to tell you that's what they did uh-huh and so throughout the, the entire investigation like john is just a mess The police did not think he had anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Sherry's dad thought that he knew more. Like, he didn't think he had anything to do with the murders. Like, he didn't think he killed Sherry. Yeah. But he thought he knows more than what he's saying. Okay. And so, the investigator, uh, Lyle Mayer, was the lead Mm -hmm. there in 1986. And him and his partner, Detective Hooks, were like, this is a burglary gone wrong, even mm-hmm. though they didn't take anything of value. The only mm-hmm. thing that was missing was her purse where she kept the marriage certificate because she was going to go to the bank to try to um, set up like a separate savings account and checking account and all that to mm-hmm. get their finances the way she wanted. But she didn't legally change her name. Okay. So she was still, like, for professional reasons, because she published papers and stuff, she was yeah. Sherry Rasmussen. But in her personal life, she was going by Sherry Rutten. Okay. So she was like, I ha- I'm going to take my marriage certificate to make sure that all this gets taken care of and no one's questioning, like, why my name is this here and this there. So her marriage certificate was in her purse. Okay. So the only thing that was missing from the house was her purse and her BMW. Ooh. Nothing else was taken. Okay. None of the electronics. Nothing. There was a couple of things that were moved, like, closer to the door. Like, they were going to take it. Mm-hmm. But they were still there. Like, they didn't steal anything from the house. They yeah. didn't go through her jewelry box. Nothing. Huh. And there was a, a handprint that turned out to be Sherry's. There was a f- bloody fingerprint on top of... It said like the disc player, which I'm not sure what that was. Like, yeah, was it a CD player? Was it a <laughs> like I don't know? Uh-huh. <laughs> but there was a bloody fingerprint on top of the disc player. Okay, and the police were just like, "This is a robbery gone wrong." Uh, John didn't mention Stephanie on the first, like right after it happened, because they took him to the station and they talked to him and all that. Mm-hmm. Didn't mention Stephanie, but he really wasn't. Like, he was inconsolable. Yeah. And so, he wasn't... They were asking him questions, but he wasn't really, like, 
well, I think this happened or I think that happened. Yeah. Um, he called his parents and they came to, to came to get him. Later on, when one of the detectives, way, way later, was being asked about, like, the investigation and what they thought about John, like, he was like, I thought he was a wuss. Like, really? He couldn't, like, he couldn't handle anything. They tried to do a polygraph test. He kept failing it because he was crying. Like, Aww. and I'm just like, he was really upset about his wife. Like, he loved his yeah, wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, they, um, there was some things that I was like, gosh, John. Uh, <laughs> one of them was that he didn't want to call Sherry's parents. Really? Well, yeah. And so he didn't. Like <gasps> six hours after her murder, his dad called her dad. Oh. Because he couldn't he couldn't face him. He couldn't talk to him. Mm-hmm. And which really made Sherry's dad like really upset with him. Yeah. He was like, first of all, you waited six hours after it happened. I was like, we could have gotten on a plane and been there by now. Yes. I was like, but you waited. So now we have to wait till the next day. Cause they called them at like three o'clock in the morning. <sighs> and so he's like, so now we have to wait to be able to get onto a plane. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, also like, why is your dad calling me? Yeah. Which by the way, those two dads did not like each other. Oh no. <laughs> so he was like double upset. He right. was like, why is he calling me to tell me that, you know, my daughter has been murdered? Like, why aren't you, her husband, uh-huh. calling me? <laughs> so. But think about that in a different way. It's like, he just married this guy's daughter, and he feels like mm-hmm. he's trying to take care of her, and he's failed. Oh, yeah. And oh, to yeah, try yeah. to fess up to that, that, I mm-hmm. think, would have when been really already, hard. it seemed like he, the dad wasn't, like, Oh yeah, this guy's so great. You know, I'm glad he married my daughter. And so he was like, "Well, this is the guy she chose." Wow. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would be like, I would be like, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> Someone else called. <laughs> I I understand both aspects of it, but yeah, mm-hmm. like he was he was super upset. He didn't want to call. Yeah. And his dad finally finally did, and that's how they were notified. And I can also see why that would make Sherry's dad be like. He knows more than what he's saying. Yeah, that's true. So, mm-hmm. especially when you're already a little like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is because of your ex girlfriend. Yeah, you know. So, they get there the next day. Um, the detective told John that he was gonna if he could come to the station by like ten o'clock or something, and they were gonna go back to the the condo, and they wanted to do a walkthrough with him to see if anything had been stolen. You know, if anything was missing. And basically just have him do a walkthrough with them and so on. And he was really upset about that, but he agreed. And so his mom went with him Mm -hmm. and they went to go do the walkthrough. And that's when the detective mentioned that they had found a bite mark on Sherry's arm. Really? They had found um, a bite mark on her arm. Like it happened during the struggle. And... Um, Detective Hooks mentioned that it's because of the bite mark, it strongly suggested that it was probably a female that attacked her because women bite. Interesting. Yeah. And um, the lead detective, Lyle Mayer, was like, 
that's statistically true. Like, it doesn't mean, though, that it couldn't have been a man. Mm-hmm. But statistically, like, if a woman's fighting another woman, one of them is going to bite. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Interesting statistic there. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and that made John think, I need to tell them about Stephanie and her acting kind of weird and going to mm-hmm. Sherry's work. And it wasn't really clear if he, if Sherry had told him about the other stuff. Okay. Like her being in the living room. I can't imagine her not telling him. Right. But he didn't mention that. He just mentioned that she had gone to the hospital to uh, and upset Sherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not mention anything about his infidelity or anything like that. Yeah. Which is kind of like, that's kind of reasonable. He's not going to be like, oh, yeah. So, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially not in front of his mom. Yes. So... But he did mention her and did say, you know, she's an LAPD officer. Uh, her name is Stephanie Lazarus. She was kind of my ex and she had been, you know, harassing Sherry a little. And so, mm-hmm. was, and they're like, oh, okay. They didn't write any of that down in their reports. What? Yeah. No, their reports were terrible. Oh my gosh. Like they, did, they misspelled names all over the place. They didn't keep up with anything like if they talked to someone they didn't make a note of it and it was it was terrible wow yeah and so he mentioned her mentioned that she was an lapd officer Uh and they did nothing about it they didn't record her name they didn't talk to her nothing Hmm. okay and that was pretty much it like john did the walkthrough he cooperated as uh-huh. best as he could. Um, when Sherry's parents got there, they her dad was like, are you going to look into John's ex-girlfriend? She's an LAPD officer. They didn't know her name. Okay. But John had already told them yeah. her name. And they, um, they claimed that they were just ignored the entire time. Every time they brought it up, it was like they didn't say anything. The detective just kept going with whatever he was talking about. And he would always just, it was a burglary gone wrong. Wow. He wasn't deviating from that. That's what it was. And at some point after Sherry's dad just kept bringing up this ex-girlfriend, LAPD officer, he just finally told him that there's nothing there and that he needs to let it go. It was a burglary gone wrong. And so John assumed that they had talked to Stephanie. They had ruled her out. Uh huh. Like he didn't, he didn't question it at all. He mentioned it. They never said anything about Stephanie again. So he just thought they talked to her, and they ruled her out. Yes, I feel like that happens a lot more than we realize because you feel like you're telling somebody something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, it's like, okay, they've got it now. Mm-hmm. And they don't. Well. For various reasons yes. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in the 80s, the LAPD, I mean, they were, <laughs> there was there was issues there. But as someone, like, especially someone, you know, like John, who had never had any dealings with the police, had no reason to suspect that the police would not do their job. Right. Mm-hmm. Just thought, this didn't come up again, so they must have talked to her, and everything must have checked out, and they're 
going on with their leads because that's what they would tell them well they wouldn't they never told them that they talked to her but that they were following leads and so on so he just thought they talked to her ruled her out yeah and just he just went on trucking with his life huh okay um sherry's parents were the ones that brought up stephanie all the time they were hugely ignored they were not given any information on their daughter's case um they would call to get updates they were ignored all the time Hmm. and um sherry's dad thought that it was because basically the detective didn't want to hear about stephanie lazarus yeah just he was tired of that so he didn't want to hear about that the case got a little here and there um a few months after sherry's death someone a couple of houses down from her condo Mm -hmm. um came home and found two men in her house burglarizing her condo and so she told them to get out they pointed a gun at her she ran away so that further solidified their this was a burglary gone wrong mm-hmm. and or a setup <laughs> okay and so from that that's pretty much it they never talked to stephanie ever never wow and in and the case sat there from 1986 to 2005 wow it just sat there mm-hmm. because they never found the burglars yeah and it sat there unsolved so one of the interesting things while it sat there unsolved between 1986 to 2005 mm-hmm. sherry's family was like this is not ever going to get solved. The LAPD is not doing anything. So they contacted Anne Rule. Oh! And they were like, hey, Anne, will you write a book about Sherry? Uh-huh. And so she contacted them and was like, let's meet up. And so she <laughs> she rented out like a whole uh, hotel dining area so they could sit and talk freely. Wow. <laughs> so they show up. They're talking to her. They tell her about Sherry, about her marrying John, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell her about the ex-girlfriend police officer, how they've been treated by the LAPD. And she seems really interested. Like, she's asking questions like, did they ever suspect John? Did they ever rule John out? And they were like, you know, they no one suspects that John had anything to do with the actual murder. Like, we don't even think that that's the case. It was like, yeah. but I think she, I think he knows something. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, okay. And so she took a lot of notes and she seemed really fired up about writing a book about Sherry Rasmussen. Mm-hmm. So she was like, okay, well, um, I have an investigator there in LA and I'm going to give him a call and have him start, you know, he's an ex cop. So start, you know, getting documents and stuff like that for me to to look at and start doing some research. And they're like, okay, great. And they were super excited. Thought Anne's going to write a book, mm-hmm. and everybody's going to know about Sherry, and maybe something will finally break on this case. Yeah. So Anne starts doing her investigating and so on, and then she calls up the family and she says, "I can't write a book about this." And they're like, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, my investigator just called me and told me that it was too hot." And that he wasn't going to look into it any further. Wow. So she was like, so I'm not doing it. Wow. Yeah. And so they were like, okay. And so her case sat there 
mm-hmm. again for another decade or so. Mm-hmm. And in 2005, there was a detective. He was with the cold case unit. He decided to go ahead and uh, look into it. And he discovered that um, all the physical evidence that was collected was checked out by a police officer and never returned. Really? Mm-hmm. And who happened to be that police officer? It was not Stephanie Lazarus. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was probably someone that Stephanie knew. Uh-huh. Checked out all the all the stuff. Never brought it back. When he was asked what happened to it, he did not recall. He didn't recall checking it out. He would have had no idea why he would have checked it out. He wasn't working on that case. Has no idea where it is or what's or what. And so, so do you think she accessed it and put his name on it? Or do you think he actually checked it out for her? I think he actually checked it out for her. Okay. And then just didn't. And it was like, yeah. Yeah. Played dumb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I think if they had asked the clerk, Uh he was like, oh, it was some girl. It was a female police officer. Yeah. You know, but uh, Detective Shepard. He was looking into it in 2005. Mm-hmm. All the physical evidence was gone. While he was looking at the intake form, he saw that there was a swab for the bite mark. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, that's stored in a totally different place. Oh. So maybe that's still there. So he contacted um, a woman named Frances uh-huh. in the uh, forensics unit. And so she starts hunting it down. And she calls... Uh, the clerk and gives them the case number. They look it up and they're like, we don't have anything. And so she was like, oh, okay. And so she's thinking about it and she's like, well, this was 1986. Mm-hmm. So they might still have it and it just isn't in the system. Oh. So she calls again. She talks to someone and he's, uh, she looks to see who the original guy that like did the intake and who actually swabbed and all that was and she was like gosh i wonder if he's still there like it's been 20 years uh-huh. but he might still be working so yeah. she calls and asks just asks for him and they transfer her over nice. and so she talks to him and he's all like oh yeah that's probably not in the computer system and so he's like okay it'll take it's gonna take me a while to look for it and i was gonna go on vacation and she's like there's no rush like whenever you get back you know totally take your time look for it just don't forget about me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all. Just don't forget. And yeah. it was like, okay. And so he hangs up and like, he calls her, um, I think like the next day or something. He was like, oh, it took me six hours, but I found it. <laughs> she was like, oh, nice. <laughs> so he was like, I've sent someone to take it to you. So you'll, you'll get it here in a little bit. And so she's like, oh, great. And so there was definitely enough to run a DNA profile on it. Mm-hmm. And that's when she discovered that, it was female DNA. Okay. That her bite mark was female. And at first she was like, oh, maybe it broke the skin and this is Sherry's DNA. Mm-hmm. But when she compared the DNA profile with Sherry's DNA profile, it was not Sherry's. Okay. So then she calls Shepard up and says, you're looking for a lady. Uh-huh. You're looking for a woman. Um, the DNA profile is of a female. And then once you have a suspect and we get DNA, we can... We can match it. 
And so he was like, oh, okay. Didn't call her back. Didn't do anything. And so she thought that was kind of weird. So she called him and she was like, hey, you know, so what's going on with, with this? And he was like, oh, I'm looking into male-female burglary teams from the 80s. <laughs> and she was like, well, okay. She's like, this seems really personal. Mm-hmm. Like, Sherry's face was all messed up. Like, she was beaten very badly in the face. Wow. Um, she was poked with the tip of a gun, like, pretty much stabbed in the face with it. Like, just uh-huh. really hard with it. And then she was shot three times. <sighs> and so it was, she was like, oh, and bitten. Because she was fighting. Like, she wasn't just yeah taking it. But she was like, this was clearly someone that was really angry or hated her. Like, this wasn't a burglary gone wrong. Again, no one took anything. Right. And so, but he was dead set on it being a burglary team, male, female did burglary they, team. Did they ever find her car? They did. They did. It was left unlocked with the car, with the keys in in a primarily Latino neighborhood. Okay. Obviously wiped down. Mm-hmm. Or Oh, yeah. There was yeah. no prints. They found her purse, too. Mm-hmm. Um, two Latino men knocked on a neighbor's door. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, is this 205? And she was like, no, this isn't 205. And like, oh, well, we found this purse. And, you know, it's all broken English, but they're getting their point across. And she was like, no, 205 is across the street. And so they go over there and they knock and no one answers. So they come back and they're just like, take this from us, please. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, I'll just give it to her later. Like, she must not be home. Uh-huh. And the only thing missing from her purse was the marriage license. Jeez. Okay. But, you know, it was a male-female burglary team. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, the burglars who went in a couple weeks later, were they Latino? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Or so then they said. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's just like, okay, well, I guess nothing's going to happen with this. Mm-hmm. Another four years passed by. Wow. And um, so it's 2009 now. Uh-huh. And this detective named Newtall, I think only been a detective for a few years at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's not totally new, but he's also working in a division where it's not, there's not a whole lot of homicides. Yeah. So he's a little, a little new with the whole thing, but, um, in the academy, one of his professors, teachers, I don't know what they call them in the academy, mm-hmm. but was telling him that, you know, if you want to learn more about homicide, go and look at all the cold cases. Like, read up on those and so mm-hmm. on and see how those were investigated and, and so on. And it's a good good way to, like, learn a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um so he was looking into some cold case files and he thought he had figured one out, mm-hmm. found the, like who he thought killed this guy and went to the DA and was like, this is all the evidence I have. It's all circumstantial, but it's all pointing to this guy. Uh-huh. And it was also from the eighties and he, the DA was like, we've got no physical evidence. I'm not taking this to the, to a jury. Okay. So he was like, you know, yeah, kind of took the wind out of his sails. He was like, yeah, oh, okay, whatever. Uh huh. One day before he's leaving for 
maternity leave. His wife is having a baby, and so he's going to take some time off to be with her and and their newborn. He comes into comes into his um, into the station and goes to his desk, and there is a box on his desk, mm-hmm. and there are two cold case files in there. Mm-hmm. One was Sherry's, and the other one was a woman named Catherine Braley. Okay. Catherine Braley was killed two years after Sherry was. There wasn't really a lot of similarities with Catherine Braley. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Lazarus did not kill Catherine Braley. Okay. The reason it was brought up in the book uh, was because Catherine Braley had gone out with some friends, was drinking in a bar with them, having a good time, and um, she didn't come home. She was found dead in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And when her friends were questioned by the police, they said that they had met three deputies at this bar and she had been talking with one of them. And so they were pretty sure that he was going to give her a ride home. Oh. And so Catherine Braley's case didn't go anywhere because it was a police officer involved. Mm-hmm. Nice. And okay. the lead detective on that was Lyle Mayer. The same guy, same that, guy that was the head of her of Sherry's homicide investigation when it first started. He was just covering up for everybody. Mm-hmm. Wow! Because um, Shepard, when he found out that it was female DNA, mm-hmm. and knew that there was because at some point someone finally wrote down Stephanie's name once okay. in the entire thing, so he knew Stephanie Lazarus was a police officer and okay. so when he found out that it was female dna he was like it was a female male burglary team yeah you know some la bonnie and clyde i guess <laughs> i'm just amazed at the um the i don't even know if it's a bond but the um the code the blind devotion yeah the blue line yes yeah. and the fact that you've got the solid evidence that she killed someone and you're like that's more important than oh i don't know the oath i took when i was sworn in to be a police officer yes. and even years later that's still mm-hmm. oh, so okay. stephanie went on about her life mm-hmm. you know she went up the ranks in the police department. Um, all the top press liked her, mm-hmm. not because she did anything brave or because she was what you would think of as a good police officer. Mm-hmm. She kissed a lot of ass. Ah. And that's pretty much how all of her, all of her accommodations were... Um, that they appreciated her helping with like the golf tournament and putting that together for the cops or stuff like that. Like it wasn't like you went out and saved a person. Mm-hmm. She did all the grunt work, the stuff that they uh-huh. didn't want to do. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, and she, and I think that was really her plan all along was I'm going to volunteer to do this and I'm going to volunteer to do that. So I'm around all the top people mm-hmm. and they all think that I'm great. But I'm not actually going to do anything. Yeah. And huh. she kept a diary early on in her in her career uh-huh. as a police officer when she was patrolling and all that. Some of the things that she did, and she had no problem with this 
with some of the things that she was doing while she was on duty because she wrote them down. So she would go to the tanning salon. She would go visit friends while she was on patrol. Oh my god! She would go visit her married boyfriend. Like it was just like she was just doing whatever. She'd go run personal errands. Uh-huh. At some point, she had a partner, and um, they had transitioned from like the morning shift, so they worked all night and got off in the morning, mm-hmm. and they were transitioning over to like day shift, and so. They went somewhere, parked, and just took a nap <laughs> while they were on patrol. Like, just, it's not a big deal. Oh, wow. And she had no problem writing this stuff down. Like, she That's didn't think she needed to, to keep it secret or anything like that. Uh-huh. And she wrote, like, in this journal, it wasn't, like, her deep personal thoughts. It was, this day, this was my shift. This is where I patrolled. This was the car I was in. This was my partner. This is what we did. Huh. And it's just like, you obviously didn't think you were doing anything wrong. Yeah. Or you didn't care. But that was, that was it. That was her whole patrol thing. Wow. And she had absolutely no empathy for people. Like, whenever she would talk about, like, doing an arrest or something like that. hmm She just didn't care. Like, she didn't have any empathy for anybody. Wow. The only time she said anything about... Uh, like that seemed like something had actually affected her emotionally mm-hmm. was when a teenage girl uh, overdosed and tried to kill herself. And she was just like, it was really sad. Hmm. And that's it. Yep. And that's it. Wow. I was like, well, okay. Alrighty. Yeah. This is early on in uh-huh. her career. Yeah. Like not, oh, I've been doing this for 15 years and at this point I'm a little like, okay. A little callous know? on it, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, right off the, right out the gate. She's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, okay. So, Sherry died. Stephanie went on to climb up the ranks. At some point, I think it was three years after Sherry had been murdered. Mm -hmm. And again, John thought that Stephanie had been cleared by the police. Mm -hmm. He had no knowledge one way or the other, really. Yeah. Um, He called her and they, she was talking with him for a little bit and then she was going to Hawaii with a friend because they had just been certified scuba divers. So they were going to take a little vacation and do a timeshare or something in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. It was a little confusing here because neither, like she said that John called her John said that he found out through the friend, like through a friend that she was going to Hawaii and he was going to be in Hawaii at the same time. Hmm. You know, like it wasn't really like planned. Yeah. But they were in Hawaii at the same time. So he went to visit her at the timeshare that she was at and was hanging out with her and the, her, her friend for a couple of days. And then like, you know, it's just a vacation. Yeah. And that's kind of how they reconnected. They did not end up together. You okay, got this look good. on your face. Like, <laughs> but they did, you know, pretty much resume their casual, weird, sometimes have sex with each other relationship. And so when he was asked about it on the stand, he was like, it was like two times. Like, yeah, <laughs> like it wasn't like it wasn't a thing. Like we didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, and they they met their um, he met another woman. And then married her. And I think at that point it was like six years after Sherry had been murdered. Mm -hmm. He met another woman, got married, and started a family with her. And around that same time, 
Stephanie met the man that she was going to marry. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, okay. they went on their separate ways. So, she didn't even get John. Yeah. And, yeah. Thank goodness. I, that would have been freaky. Yes. Anyway. Yes, it would have been terrible. Well, J- John never had any interest in her. Like, that's the thing yeah. that was so, like, he's just not that into you, girl. Maybe you should just move on. <laughs> so, this detective gets this on his desk, and he's... Um, he gets it on his desk, and he's just like... Who put these here? No one knows. They were just delivered in a box, left on his desk. Mm-hmm. He has no idea who put them on his desk. No one has any idea, and no one's ever said, oh, it was me. Okay. So, mysterious box appears on his desk. Uh-huh. And he's looking at it, and he's all like, these are from the 80s. <laughs> so, he's like, they're not even in a binder. <laughs> so, he's so annoyed. <laughs> Him and another partner of his, like, whenever... Things got a little slow and then you know he liked reading over the cold case files they would go and get like the old cold case files uh-huh. and like take them apart hole punch them put them in nice binders <laughs> put the name of the victim and date and stuff on the spine and wow like, you know not just for me whenever i want to look at this but later on down the line somebody somebody is and it needs to like not be in some folder rubber banded together uh-huh. <laughs> so he was like okay so he that's what he does he like takes it apart and starts putting it into a binder and while he's doing that he's looking at it and he's reading it mm-hmm. and he's like what's the problem here yeah okay nothing happened from 1986 to 2005 but i have dna mm-hmm. and i know it's female dna mm-hmm. like what's the what's the problem yeah like why haven't we Looked into this again. Well, he reads on the little thing there, Stephanie Lazarus' name, and it says P.O. next to it. Mm -hmm. And that John had called to give all her information. So everything that he knew, John had called, and so on. So he was like, I was like, okay. He couldn't understand why there wasn't a lot of information, like Mm -hmm. in the typed up reports and chronological orders and stuff like that. And Matthew uh, Mago had a, has a theory about that. It's that at some point, Stephanie had been assigned to that division oh. in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. Sherry had been killed. And she would constantly volunteer for the graveyard shift. So she was there all night, pretty mm-hmm. much by herself with maybe a couple of other police officers she outranked them all Mm -hmm. so no one was going to question if she went and got a file to look at or anything like that Uh and so they think that she went and took some things out and so on wow and then all the other physical evidence is gone yeah but they do have that dna profile Mm -hmm. and so but he saw that and he either didn't know that P slash O was their shorthand for police officer. Mm-hmm. Or he was just like, don't care. Yeah. But I don't think he, he connected those dots. Like, I don't think he knew what P.O. meant. Okay. And then just went on. It didn't stop him when he found out uh-huh. that she was a police officer. But he also knew, like, once, she, once he found out that it was a police officer, he was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah. But he was like, but if she killed somebody, Good. she needs off the street. Yeah. He calls Francis up from the forensics division and she's like, the first thing she says to him is, this was not a robbery. 
This was not a burglary. And he's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like, hi. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know why you're so mad. <laughs> uh, but, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, the, and they start talking and she tells him, you know, that, tells him a little bit about the other detective and so on. And he's like, okay. He doesn't really tell her, like, let's keep this between you and me or anything like that. He hasn't really decided, like, what the course of action is going to be. I don't think he really fully realizes yet that this is about a police officer that did the killing. At first, he's like, okay, so this cop was just, like, just set it aside. Mm -hmm. Um, But once he finds out that Sherry's a police officer, then he goes to his boss. And only his him and his partner and the other detective there in the in their unit and their boss only those four people knew about the investigation okay like they made a whole new case number for it Uh because the way things were set up now was that if stephanie wanted to look into this case Uh she could just type it up into the system and it would show up everything the whatever they had discovered whatever they had put in if there was any more physical evidence gathered Mm -hmm. so she could keep tabs got it from her desk yeah so they made a whole new case file for it whole new number no one knew that they were investigating this okay and so they started to look into stephanie Mm -hmm. and at this point she had moved on to like one of the cushiest jobs that she could get as a detective Mm -hmm. which was the fine arts crime division what yeah so this entire division was just set up for stolen art oh nice okay (laughs) so fascinating yeah that's where she was (laughs) um she she married scott young Um, they adopted a little a little girl Mm -hmm. and that was that was it like she was living her life yeah and so they find find out she's a police officer they do all this stuff to keep it secret to keep it down and then they're like okay where does she live they can't find an address for her she's pretty much made sure like the addresses that they find for her are closed down businesses a house that she used to live in forever ago like they're like how is how do we not have an address for her? Well, I mean, she made sure that there wasn't. Yeah. And so they spent a whole day trying to find her address. Like, uh-huh. well, this address was on this from like forever ago. Let's go check that out. Well, that's not it. Until they finally find her. Uh-huh. And they're like, they're like, oh man, okay, so she's good. <laughs> I was like, I was like, we just spent this whole day trying to find out where she lives. <laughs> but they finally find her address and they're watching her. And they're like, we need to get something with her DNA on it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the only way we're going to be able to do this. Yeah. And we can't just go and ask her. Yeah. Because then she'll know. Yeah. So they're like, they finally, um, their boss finally goes to his boss and he's like, this is what's going on. And they get, there's, a, there's also a whole division that's just pretty secretive even in the department mm-hmm. where they are plainclothes police officers that go and pick up DNA. 
So if you're out eating in a restaurant and they think you did something, ooh, yeah, you throw away your yep. cup or whatever. The second your back is turned, they're taking it out of the trash, putting yep. it in a little baggie. Because once you've let it go, that you've relinquished it, it's mm-hmm. not in your possession anymore, and so yep. they can take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without your permission. Otherwise, exactly. they have to get your permission mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. So there's a whole unit. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so they um, basically talked to talk to them and we're like do you know stephanie lazarus and they're like no i don't know who that is Uh okay great i need you to do this (laughs) okay (laughs) and they did that with the robbery homicide division too Mm -hmm. and uh this uh detective newdall knew that basically once his part was done it was going to be taken over by robbery homicide and he had hoped that he could still stay on the case because he did all the work. Right. Um, but he knew that eventually they were going to take it over mm-hmm. and they were just going to take what he had gotten, do the actual arrest, talk with the DA and get all that, get that part going. Okay. So they do get some of her DNA from a cup. She took her daughter to the mall. They ate at the food court and she threw her, her cup away. Mm-hmm. In a trash can. Okay. And they got it. And it was a match. Surprise, surprise. I know. So, so surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a match. And Robbery Homicide comes and takes the case mm-hmm. from them. Um, they do ask Detective Noodle to be, like, to transfer from where he was to the Robbery Homicide Division just for the remainder of this investigation and then he was going to be sent back okay um he thought that he was going to be more involved but he was not they did not like the, the, he thinks that they did it more out of courtesy oh, okay but they had no intention of letting him anywhere near the rest of the investigation huh so they find out that it was her they have her dna they want to talk to her, but they don't want her to be someplace where she's got her gun. Mm-hmm. So they ask her basically to meet them at the jail. And they give her some some story like, we arrested this guy and he's talking about some like paintings or something. I don't know. But could you come with me and talk to him? Because if it's got something to do with art, like, yeah, you, you need to talk to him. And so she's like, okay, yeah, sure. So she goes and they have to check in their guns before going into the jail. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, oh, I left mine at my desk. And they're like, oh, okay. So they go back in there. They go in there. There's no suspect. They're there to talk to her about this. And they talk to her for a while. She's not really like confessing to anything. She's not like, oh, yeah, I totally killed her. But she's just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't remember where I was. I mean, it was 1986. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like just being kind of evasive about the whole thing. Yeah. She gets arrested. The LAPD does not fire her. Okay. While she is waiting for trial, she retires and gets her full pension. Oh, my gosh. Because they did not fire her. Wow. And they never did anything about it. They just, whatever, let her sit there. And her her pension was pretty big, too. Yeah. Um, Let's see if I can find how much it was. I was like... What? Yeah, I was like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> so the amount of Stephanie's pension was $66,949.50. Wow. And as of 2017, 
It continues to grow every year. <sighs> That's ridiculous. Yes. So she goes on trial. She gets. She was sentenced to on May eleventh, twenty seventeen. No, two thousand twelve. Sorry. Okay. She was uh, was convicted. I do believe of first degree murder. She was convicted of first degree murder. She was sentenced twenty seven years to life. Okay. So she was sentenced twenty seven years to life. Um, John did make a victim impact statement. Um, when he was when she was arraigned, John did not go to her arraignment. Her mm-hmm. Sherry's family did, like her parents and so on did, but John did not. But he did make a, a vic- victim impact statement, and he said he concluded with his, these remarks. The fact that Sherry's death occurred because she met and married me brings me to my knees. I do not know, I do not know and fear I will never know how to cope with this appalling fact. I have resigned myself to, to praying for some measure of peace and trying to endure the daydreams about a world where Sherry is still with us and this pointless tragedy never occurred. Wow. Uh, Stephanie declined to make any statement. She showed no regret or remorse whatsoever. Catherine Braley, the other cold case, when the whole thing broke with Sherry, with uh, Stephanie, someone from the robbery homicide division came and picked up Sherry's cold case file and Catherine's. Catherine's is still unsolved. Oh. It's still sitting there. Mm-hmm. Probably just collecting dust. Yeah. Francis, after everything came about and she was pretty certain that Detective Shepard was just going to sweep it under the rug as well. Once he found out that um, it was about a police officer Mm -hmm. and he was not investigating a police officer. She went to her boss and her boss went to his boss and they basically told Francis that she was being hysterical and she needed to go to the their counseling center and then when she was like i'm not being hysterical and he was like yeah you are and this is not a choice like you have to go it's mandatory Mm -hmm. and she knew that was pretty much the first step in them trying to fire her yeah and so she went did what she what she was asked to do um she filed the civil suit that is still ongoing Mm -hmm. today um Sherry's parents filed a civil suit against the city of Los Angeles and the LAPD um, because they basically felt that this was a huge cover-up. They never wanted to do anything to Stephanie, and they just let their daughter's case sit there. And I don't even think it was her specifically. It was just a because, cop. yeah. It was just a cop. Yeah. Because when she first came up like she hadn't climbed up the ranks or anything i think she was still like a police officer too Mm -hmm. which is the one step up from being a rookie yeah so it's not like they were like oh no stephanie's a great cop like we can't do this to her yeah she's they heard police officer and that was it they did not need to look any further into her at all the rasmussen civil case was dismissed Okay. They um they were not looking for any monetary gain. Mm-hmm. They received any money from it. They had already had planned a scholarship for in Sherry's name and all of that. They, mm-hmm. This was more about the fact that 
20 something years passed before anything was done. Yeah. And only because a police officer took his oath seriously. While there were several other officers in the department that weren't going to do anything about it. Yeah. And I looked up Catherine Braley to see if anything had been done with hers and mm-hmm. nothing. It's more like it's going to be investigated anytime soon. Yeah. Hopefully this book will shed some light on that. Mm-hmm. And maybe. Maybe. But. It yeah. Took- to include her in that, that could very well be. Mm-hmm. Um, give her a little bit of press and see yeah. what happens. Because the things have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So, one thing I noticed with your book is that it was very engaging. It sounded very interesting. My book, not so much. So, well, with mine, um, I am on page 144 of... It's 318 total pages, but that's with the further reading stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus acknowledgments. Yeah. yeah. So, about halfway through. It's been a struggle to continue reading it because the murders themselves have not been really the focus. Hmm. It's like, okay, this is what happened. These two ladies um, died and then, okay, I'll just get into it. (laughs) So this is called The Third Rainbow Girl. Um. What happened is this lady, um, her name was Vicky. She was in her mid-20s. And another girl, her name was Nancy. Um, she was about 19. Came from different parts of the country, but they met in Arizona. And um, it was in the you know late 70s. And they were going to go to, um, I don't know if you'd call it like a retreat or a summit or something like that, mm-hmm. with this group called the Rainbow people rainbow gathering i think is what it was called and they did this like once a year and just kind of like all these hippie people i was gonna say is this a hippie thing it is like a hippie thing (laughs) yes (laughs) they would meet at different locations across the country well this uh particular year they were meeting in west virginia and um so they were in arizona three there were three friends, and it was Nancy, um, Vicky, and there was uh, Liz, I think was the other person. And Liz was kind of like, oh, yeah, she ends up going up to the Seattle area, and then, but she ends up meeting up with them. And the other two hitchhike and manage to get over into that area. You know, they'll take some buses mm-hmm. and stuff. And they they get into the area stay with some friends, go to the beach, you know, then end up going, um, taking a bus somewhere else. Well, before they get on the bus, at this one point, Liz separates from them because she gets a feeling that she needs to call her family. And um, come to find out, her dad's getting married or remarried or something. So she's like, okay, I'm in this area. I'm going to go to the wedding. So she catches a bus up to... I don't know, Vermont or Connecticut, somewhere up in that area, mm-hmm. and to go to this wedding. And then the other two girls catch a bus, and they are going to West Virginia. Um, so they make it to West Virginia, and very close to where the gathering is, but um, they're found dead. And they're shot, one of them was shot 
two times. The other one was shot three times. They had a little bit of alcohol in their system, but not mm-hmm. really very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never could f- find the killer. So there was a lot of speculation about what was going on. It was... Um, Everybody said it had to have been somebody local because where they were found, Mm -hmm. a stranger wouldn't know how to get there. They didn't have any of their belongings with them. Mm. And they had like a a tent that they were carrying with them and, you know, just a few little items. And I think it was probably three to six months later, they ended up finding all of their stuff like 60 miles away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole time, it's like locals. Somebody local did this. Mm-hmm. They were um, people of the land in West Virginia. That's kind of what they described them mm-hmm. as uh, against the hippies. And so when the gathering was there, they were like, oh, somebody was really upset that this was going to be here. And, you know, it was just kind of this big thing. Um Finally, probably two years after the murder happened, this guy calls up Vicky's parents. And it was said in a couple different ways. He called them because he didn't know where the other lady's parents were and he couldn't pronounce their last name. I, I don't <laughs> 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 weird. So he, that's how we decided which family to call. And so he calls them and says, I'm really sorry about your daughter. And have you thought about having the FBI investigate? And so the dad gets off the phone and he calls the local police right away and says, hey, this dude just called me. And that was the first time they'd heard of him. So through, through all this... You almost needed a piece of paper to write down everybody involved. Mm -hmm. It was that ridiculous with all the names. James Beard. No, was that his name? Not James. Jacob Beard. That's what it was. Um, He comes to the police, you know, because now he's on their radar. Mm -hmm. And because they were like, I'd never heard of this dude before he called them. Yeah. Why did he call them? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they're you know come on into the station let's talk you know and he kept denying it I didn't do it and the only reason I called because I felt bad and um did he give them information or was he just like man I'm sorry about your daughter you should have the FBI look into it that's all he said <laughs> but <laughs> before he hung up he said I did not kill your daughter <laughs> Right? I'm just going to throw that last bit. Because like, I'm like, you could have read about it in the paper and been like, oh, maybe they should have the FBI look into right. it. You know, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a while. Yeah. But yes, throwing in the <laughs> BTW, I didn't kill your daughter. Right. <laughs> just like, um, now I think you did. Yes, everybody <laughs> does. Okay, so this happened, um, I believe it was 1980. Um, the spring of 1980 when the actual murder took place. And so they go back, and this is the part where it was really difficult because she goes back into, like, how West Virginia became a state. Mm. And (laughs) (laughs) and all, like, how the Appalachian people or the people in West Virginia, why they are the way they are and how they're so much different from Virginians. And, I mean, it's... 
it's understandable, I guess, mm-hmm. to a point, but it was it was too much. I did not yeah. need to know all this. And then in in part two, she starts talking about herself. And I'm like, I don't really want to know your story. I mean, in the I know why she did it now because she was like, this is how I came to know about this murder uh-huh. that even happened in this area. Yeah, but it's like that's still not necessary to the to the story right for like how you found out about this and why you decided that this is what you wanted to investigate yeah like so like in in all (laughs) your internal struggles and where you were and what you did and oh i'm gonna yeah yeah no did not really care to know that that seems like a two paragraphs of your author's note at the end (laughs) (laughs) right so that's that's part of the that i struggled with getting Mm -hmm. through i mean it was interesting information but it's like come on I felt very in touch with your victim. Mm-hmm. I did not feel that way with these victims. Yeah. I felt like, man, so much time has gone by. Why even bother? Sorry, but you'll get a little bit more of that here in a second. One thing I did like about her writing was some of the things that she really were, were thought-provoking. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, is the truth really ever the truth? Because mm-hmm. you're tainted by your experiences uh-huh. and so is the next person and yeah. so when you're telling these stories and then it's like how can you tell a story about something without your internal dialogue having told yourself the story first yeah and how you want it to play out and so it was just that was very intriguing mm-hmm. to me about um well I, about all that so this is totally a side side thing but i read an mm-hmm. article that not everybody has an internal monologue what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, yeah. I might need to, to read that. <laughs> so read that article. Just, just to throw a little <laughs> wrench there on that. <laughs> okay, so it's looking here. Let's see. I'm going to skip that. If you look, they were saying that Jacob was a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Oh. So he was married. He had some kids, but when he would drink, he would get pretty mean. And so people started thinking, well, maybe he did do it. Yeah. There was another guy who lived right close there. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two homes. Uh, and this one gentleman, when he came home, that's how he's the one who found the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but this other guy, um, Cutler, I think is his last name. He lived there, too. And they said, well, he was living with this other lady and he would beat her. They weren't married. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they lived together, but he would beat on her from time to time. Hmm. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, so he I'm was also... nonchalant about it. Right? Uh, so he was another suspect. Um, and there were three different different suspects. Um, and, and then they talked about some, like, a stranger. Oh, yeah, then they get into this thing about Trump becoming president <laughs> in here. <laughs> And this and this stopped the investigation or helped the investigation oh or <laughs> so the 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 very sad thing about this book, which was just ridiculous, is Jacob would go in and he would tell them what happened. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks later he would say, No, that didn't happen that way. I mean, it was just everybody would go in and they would tell their story and then they would recant it. Huh. 
And so it's like, what the hell? Yeah. Who is really telling the truth? And it was just really difficult to to comprehend i guess mm-hmm. the just the back and forth and and then there was talk in here about um some police brutality mm-hmm. and some things that had happened um that the the witnesses said oh well they um tortured me or you know they coerced, coerced me yeah. into to doing this and it's like well you lied over here Mm-hmm. And you lied here, so why should I believe you now? I'm right. not really sure which one is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so once you get to the point where they were giving me a hard time, I'm not sure that I'm even going to believe that, yeah. which is really sad. Because yeah. I don't know if they did or they didn't. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's where it goes about the whole truth thing. And Yeah. Oh, it's very interesting. So... Um, there was one person who uh, was the prosecutor, uh, assistant prosecutor, and um, he tried to uh, run to be the prosecutor. He lost. Um, anyway, he was um, he lived in the area for a while, and then they moved him out. The case kind of got cold, and they moved him out. But then he came back, and um, it was like ten years later. Um, and he really wanted to follow up with this. And so he um, kind of got it going again. Yeah. And it was amazing how after 10 years, when they started going back and looking at different things, that they found people to talk to who knew more stuff. Yeah. Or who knew different stuff. And they ended up finding this one lady who said that she'd watched the whole thing um, as far as the girls being picked up by um, this guy mm-hmm. that didn't live in the area anymore, but he came back quite often. He grew up there. Wow. And um, he did not have a good reputation in high school when he, he was there. Yeah. And that's what they talked a lot about is about this, you know, this bond with all these guys who had grown up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were an outsider, it was really hard to ever really become... Yeah integrated they were i guess always going to miss like not trust you yeah, yeah yeah so anyway she um she saw the girls get into the van and she told her mom she said she sh- they shouldn't have done that because she knew the reputation this guy had and it was a couple days later that another guy cornered her in the grocery store and told her she better not tell anybody so come to find out i mean it's it's like this whole group of guys mm-hmm. who were together and um, there was some drinking going on. They thought, you know, these were hippie girls, that maybe they would be free yeah, with their the loving. Whole, the whole free love? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That they might get somewhere. And then they were rejected. And, you know. But there were a bunch of, of guys there, and they didn't know who actually pulled the trigger. So um, I think they said they had arrested um, seven men. And I'm not saying names because there's too many yeah. to keep track of. And you wouldn't even know who I was talking about anyway. <laughs> um, so the first one who was put on trial was this Jacob Beard. Um, okay, one other thing that, that the author talks about is this missing white woman syndrome. Mm-hmm. That there has to be certain things in play. 
and then there's like this total sympathy for this white girl uh-huh. and if those things aren't there then the sympathy's gone no media attention yeah. that kind of stuff yeah mm-hmm. it, and it's yeah. scientifically like oh yeah yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah. um and they were talking about how um the girls were a little bit heavier set or something mm-hmm. like that and it kind of made them not yeah fit yeah that they criteria. weren't traditionally attractive uh-huh women. yeah yep um so it, it i thought that was really interesting um He was asked, Jacob Beard was actually asked if he killed them. And here's what he responded. This is quoted. They were definitely not the type of women I'd want to have sex with. They weren't the slimmer, trimmest little things. They weren't the slimmest, trimmest little things. He didn't say yes or no. Mm-hmm. One way or the other. It's just all about the sex. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. And I'm sitting here like, was Jacob a handsome man that he had his pick of the ladies? Or <laughs> funny <laughs> just, you or should say that. Just, uh, one of those guys that thinks he has the right <laughs> to, to be with whoever he wants. I think it was it was probably more the right thing. There there was um he was married, and there is a picture of him in here um, with his wife, and um, but they didn't know exactly when the the picture was taken. And it, it no, he was not handsome. Hmm. So, actually, at this time the picture is taken, he is very overweight. I would say, and older. Anyway, he was obviously young when this all happened. Um, they get to a point where they're going, they're taking somebody to uh, to trial, and again, something happens. Everything has to be thrown out. It's ridiculous because somebody recants their story and says, "No, that didn't really happen," and um, all that. And they claim that they were coerced. Yeah, so podcast comes along. I have to I have to report on this book. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna fi- do so, a little bit of research. Yeah, <laughs> find out what happened. What happened at the end of this story? And I was reading a little blurb on um, on the internet about a serial killer, and I'm like, what was Jacob a serial serial killer? And no, there was another guy. That they think actually did the killing. Everybody thought it was a local person. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm like, man, I'm going to go back and look at that book. And it says that Jacob was released because a lot of the stuff pointed to this other serial killer guy. Huh. So I'm still intrigued in finding out exactly what happened. And yeah. I'll probably continue to read this book. But there, yeah, there's a little twist there <laughs> at the end. I mean, it's not the end. I'm only halfway through the book. <laughs> I didn't even get to the twist part. <laughs> so I think that um, 
story was okay, but it was all very much not about the girls. It yeah. was not about Vicky and Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about the third rainbow girl, you know, the title of it. Mm-hmm. And and I think they were talking about the third girl, Liz, who separated from them right. and didn't end up at, at, in the same situation. Yeah. And, um, but then... When I was reading the one of the reviews, they said that the author was the third Rainbow Girl. I'm like, what? I, I don't know. Hmm. I'm just very confused about all that. But so it was not it was not as um, intriguing, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, not a page turner. Yeah. For me, anyway. Uh, not that it wasn't interesting. Not that there wasn't stuff there, but. Um, I don't know. I guess I wanted more. Um, yeah, it seems kind of a, a shame to not focus more on the victims. Right. Like, that's kind of, the way I view most of these books is that's kind of the point. Yeah. I was like, you're supposed to really be talking about the victim and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if we're lucky, we get some kind of justice right at the, at the end, end. <laughs> exactly and I, we've both read books where we don't get that justice and we're mad yes <laughs> and this one it's like i don't know who did it they don't know who did it yeah and even though now the serial killer comes in really was he really the one who did it they, well they don't know no i don't and think at, they do and at this point it seems like it's so botched Yes. That even if they could be like, oh, it was definitely Jacob Beard. Uh-huh. All this information has been thrown out, and it's really hard to get evidence back into play once a judge has ruled it inadmissible. Yes. Well, and they talk about, like, some of those stories that came out, like people saying, um, talking about... You know, something comes out in the newspaper, these things happened, and then they start telling stories about this person or mm-hmm. that person. Because one of the things that happened in the book was these guys, Jacob said that these guys came over to his auto shop or whatever kind of shop that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, he called it a, some kind of a chop shop. Well, he had a machine that like, like a mulcher is what I had in my head mm-hmm. that would chop up like big trees and different things. Yeah. And that they put, um, they brought a body over and they, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to put it in his chopper and they did. And they told him, if you ever tell, you know, you're in trouble. Well, um, they ended up taking apart the chopper, mm-hmm. could not find any DNA in yeah. there. And so, and then, and then Jacob said, oh, yeah, that didn't really happen. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it was just a mess. Yeah. But, I mean, that was kind of an exciting thing if that had really happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it makes me wonder what are the things these guys did that maybe they oh, covered yeah. up and, yeah. I don't know. Wow. I think that this is a beautiful place. I think that... um you know, it probably is a lot more a laid back area and chill, and they they probably have their own system. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way, um, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. 
as far as I don't know. So I don't think it'd be de- super hard to be a cop. No one's talking to you. No one's going to talk to you. Yeah. And how are you supposed to figure anything out? Right. Because um, Above Suspicion, one of the other books that I had read for, for Dewey about uh-huh. the FBI guy yeah. that was in a very similar area as well. That's true. No one would talk to him. He had to start getting informants that were like, you can't tell anybody that I told you this. Yeah. So it seems really... Uh, it seems like it would be one of those things. It's just like, why on earth? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, one of the things I read towards the end is it had nothing to do with that rainbow gathering. Those were peaceful people who went there, just mm-hmm. like-minded people that yeah. wanted to gather for a few days. Uh, and then they'd go on their way. Yeah. And oh, they talk about like organic gardening. <laughs> you right? know, like, yeah. Because the, they the talked about like, very hippie back then yeah we now call organic gardening (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) and it was a lot of homemaking kind of things too that they talked about and yeah it was they actually said that they had little like seminars or tents set up in kind of like little sessions or things that they could go to and yeah very interesting Mm. but um so this i think um Jacob Beard was convicted in 1993. Oh. So it was 10 years after that had happened. And then, um, and then there's, there's this other guy, the serial killer who comes into play and I'm not finished with it. So I don't know exactly all that, you know, time frame and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it might be a good read. You might enjoy it a little bit mm-hmm. more than me, but we do have it at the library. Yeah. Should hopefully have mine on the stacks pretty soon, too. Well, I think that there were a lot of similarities with our books, mm-hmm. with the whole, you know, the time frame it took. Yeah. You know. Um, and there was two different sets of people, but they were very secretive and very protective of one of their own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm going to finish it. Okay. I should be back on the shelf by the time this is aired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for a better read next time. Yeah, it, mine was a slow start for sure. But once it actually got into what happened and how little things progressed once Stephanie's name was brought up. Mm-hmm. Like, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. Like, which that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you said 2012 she was convicted. Mm-hmm. Okay. 27 years, I think, was what she was sentenced to. Okay. All of her appeals have been denied so far. Um, uh, to date, no one at the LAPD, detective, or brass, active duty or retired, has been held accountable for any mistakes made in the LAPD's investigation of Sherry Rasmussen's homicide during the 23 years that Stephanie Lazarus got away with murder. Wow. Uh, Like I said, Catherine Braley's case remains open. Whoever left the file box at the desk of Detective Jim Newdall in 2008 has yet to step forward or be publicly identified. So whoever that cop was Mm -hmm. that wanted to do the right thing but didn't want to be the guy doing the right thing 
has remained anonymous. Yeah. For fear of backlash, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is sad. At first, I thought that it was um, Shepard mm-hmm. when he found out that it was female DNA, but then didn't want to publicly accuse um, a police officer. At first, I thought it was him until Francis uh, said that, because she didn't know that it was supposed to be a secret, because mm-hmm. no one told her, don't tell anybody. She ran into Shepard at a conference and... Um, he asked her how things were going and she mentioned that a detective had recently picked up the Rasmussen case. She had given that all to him and he was angry. He was angry that someone was looking into it. Really? He got mad and he wanted to know who it was and so on. See, he was afraid, but then he's wanting to attack somebody else mm-hmm. so that they're afraid as well. Yeah. Yeah, because at first I thought it was him. Mm-hmm. I was like, he's the only one that knew that yeah. this. And so maybe he was like, I'm just going to pass the buck and see if someone else will do what I don't want to do. Yeah. Even though I think it's the right thing to do. But he could have just been like, oh, that's cool. I got to go over here. Instead, he was angry and wanted like all the details. Not so cool. So I don't think it's him. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. So you said that um, that one will be on the shelf soon? Yes. All right. So I guess stay tuned for our next adventures next month. (laughs) For another (laughs) intriguing episode. Of Do We Like Murder? That's right. (laughs) 